Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teaching Matters, a podcast produced by WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. One of the things that if you follow higher education or even now K-12 uh, blogs online or you know resources like that, one of the topics that's coming up over and over again in the things that I read is the topic of esports. Many universities are now trying to figure out how to integrate esports into their academic programming, their student service programming, or various other models. And so clearly one of the things that's happening nationwide is that esports is being viewed as something that is part of the academic curriculum, whereas maybe when some of us were growing up, it was something you just played after school. So today we're going to be talking about the topic of esports. My guest is Jeff Kuhn, who's an instructional designer in the Office of Instructional Innovation and also affiliated with the Gaming Research and Immersive Design Lab at Ohio University. Jeff, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Scott. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you come in is that um, you've been working fairly centrally um, with various units in, in Ohio University structure to try to help us develop a strategy for esports. And so you bring, besides being an instructional designer, this is obviously a topic that you've given a lot of thought to. And so I want to start uh, by setting the stage. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners know what the word esports means, but when we're talking about the scope of what that might mean from you know the standpoint of all the different types of games that could eventually find their way into an academic enterprise. What are we talking about with esports? Well, you know, I think that's that's really kind of a tricky question because it can be just so encompassing. And you know, I think a lot of kind of those inert um, early views of esports sees it as well. It's, it's like a new athletic team. Yeah. When in reality, it's almost like a new department in a lot of ways because. You've got first, you know, kind of the games making that core component, and a lot of times these are highly competitive, you know, team-based games. But they can also just range the gamut of single-player, like one-on-one games, or you know, competing time trials, things like that, mm-hmm. with racing games and such. And outside of that, sort of surrounding all this, you have, you know journalism. People are writing about these sports. You know, people are analyzing the data. There are broadcasters. There are, you know, uh, physical fitness requirements now. People are starting to understand the physiology of uh, mm-hmm. esports competitors in the same way they look at uh, chess or race car driving. So there's all this sort of rich ancillary activity around esports that from a curricular standpoint, a lot of people may not think is out there. Mm-hmm. So how do we kind of get started with that? Where if we look at esports just very narrowly as video games played competitively, we sort of forget there's a a large culture around it. And Mm -hmm. as a result, there's a lot of just creative output around it that can be leveraged for education. I I didn't realize this until um, I started, you know, going to meetings with you and some others where they were talking about the larger national and international esports landscape that is a huge business. Yeah. And so can, I mean, for listeners that, you know, have no understanding or background in that type of video game environment, they might have a console at home for their kids or whatever, but they don't, there's this other stuff going on that is just mind boggling. Can you kind of describe that scope a little bit? Yeah. And to unpack that, we can really start sort of thinking generationally in the sense we've got you know, especially at universities, you have upper level administrators and faculty who maybe didn't grow up with video games. Mm-hmm. But some some of the you know younger faculty uh, and grad students and undergrads have it's it's been our whole lives in a lot of ways, myself included. And so you have games. Okay, we're we're playing this game competitively, and then suddenly I'm going to start reaching out to other teams and building out, and suddenly an organization forms, and now you've got a little you know competitive conference that builds out. So you start with that, 
and you start to see just how complex these environments begin to get. And this kind of rose up alongside of, you know, Twitch streaming and things like that. So you had kids getting on their computers at night, loading up a game, playing, and other people watching them. Mm-hmm. So at this point, you've got the attention of marketers. Like, well, mm-hmm. kids aren't watching TV, they're watching esports. And I think that's really sort of what surprises people is if they have sort of a side notion of video games, they're not quite sure what video games are, they're still thinking Mario. Yeah. Of, you know, like kids are out there playing Mario, they're playing the Fortnite, the Fortnite is a big thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you understand, That's there's a $100 million prize pool for the Fortnite tournament. <laughs> uh, Louis, uh, Louis Vuitton is now doing custom skins for League of Legends, so you can buy a Louis Vuitton skin for your character in a game, mm-hmm. because uh, League of Legends is enormous in China. And so is Louis Vuitton. And so they really want to capitalize on these markets. And I don't think people quite realize that, you know, you've got esports was, as of like a couple of years ago, Goldman Sachs looked at it and they said it's a $665 million a year industry. By 2022, we're expecting it to be around $3 billion. Mm-hmm. And so that growth is often hidden because of that generational divide. You know, people aren't plugged into the culture, so they don't really know it's there. And so when you bring people in, you know, Overwatch is this great example where it's a six-on-six game. Think hockey, but with video game characters in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, you're sort of controlling a map and trying to score a, a goal of sorts. And so with that, you know, okay, well, kids are playing Overwatch. How big could it be? You're saying, well, there's a $20 million buy-in in order to be in the pro league. And so you're seeing, you know, New York Knicks and, the, you know, the Dallas Cowboys buying up Overwatch teams and bringing them to their home cities. And so it's a big sports marketing push that we're not really seeing because it's, well, I don't pay attention to video games. And I think as an educator, that's really what we kind of have to focus on is mm-hmm. starting to bring video games into our classroom, bring esports into our classroom, just like we would movies, music, books, and television, and you'll start to see how big this is. So just to put the numbers in a little bit of a context that you just threw out about the growth of the industry and the, um, you know, the, the market cap of where it's at, how does that compare to other forms of entertainment like movies, music, et cetera? So we're looking at Music is typically around thirty billion a year. Movies, sixty billion, forty to sixty, depending on the year. With video games as a whole, we're looking at a hundred billion dollar plus. So it's much larger, much larger. And and I think that's the part that um, a lot of us that, as you said, that are generationally um, older <laughs> than yeah. than than the video game culture. I mean, we just don't get that because for us, video games were cartridges you bought and played Pac-Man, you know, or Asteroids. And and it's so different now. Um, even if you have a high school kid, you may not see some of this, but you can see each successive generation, it's a culture that they're a part of that's part of the online gig culture. And, and some of that's just invisible to parents and teachers, but it's there. And I love that you bring up culture because that's exactly what it is. You mm-hmm. know, and for universities, one of the reasons the universities are really starting to pay attention is, you know, you think about those traditional media literacies we all grew up with, that we've got books and movies and television and film. We have dedicated spaces on campus for those. You can go somewhere and enjoy music with other people, enjoy theater, enjoy a film. There's nowhere on many university campuses where you can go and enjoy video games with other people. And so it's often this Uh, hidden demographic where students are in their dorms playing or they might get together and play in one of the classrooms on the weekends when no one's around. So we're not really seeing it, but starting to understand that, 
um, it's out there. And not only is it out there as one of the major media literacies now, it's, it is the biggest. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's just that oh, I don't play games, so I don't really know what's going on there. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see that generational shift. And a lot of this comes from the, the games and education research where, you know, in 10 years time, if you say you don't play games, it's going to be as what you've never read a book. You don't know what music yeah. is. It's yeah. going to be very similar. Yeah. Uh, not to, not to make too big of a joke out of it. So we have to address this. Yeah. So, so if a university, um, you know, like when I opened the show, I said that a lot of the things that I read in my news feeds now, like it seems like every other day, there's something that points to universities wanting to open up esports programs. We'll delve into what that kind of means because there are different ways of doing it that I know you've done a lot of um, uh, soul searching on and, and and that sort of thing. But but what does it mean when a university says that they're opening up an esports program? Because it's not, you know, you've alluded to some of the issues surrounding space and, and, and some of that, but like, what does it take to field a varsity esports team? And how is that different than a club team? And you know, it's really shifted over the last you know, five years. So 2014, Robert Morris University was the first university to really establish an esports team. And it was, let's get some computers in a room, let's get some students playing, and we'll find some competition. So kind of that first wave was really a lot of small schools understanding this is far cheaper than a brand new football stadium or other athletic facility. They could put together a very kind of ad hoc esports program. And when I say program, I mean computers and a team and they play. Mm -hmm. And then they started building out, you know, let's add some scholarships. Let's get these kids some scholarships for playing for our team. And then let's let's bring them into a varsity level. So Miami University started with, you know, creating a varsity program, one of the first in the nation, University of California, Irvine. So a lot of times it was really just building out that initial early infrastructure of getting a team up and running, getting mm -hmm. them the equipment they need. And now we're seeing the second wave where Universities are really looking to, again, you know, tie into that gaming culture that students are so plugged into. Um, you know, if you look at the numbers, I think it's uh, Lead One did some research a bit back and they found that, you know, you're looking at the average age of the NFL football fan is 42. Mm -hmm. The average age of an esports fan is 22. Hmm. Um, so, that, you know, looking at these kids are doing something different. So, how do we bring that into our classroom components? Now you're starting to see curricular development, mm -hmm. tying it in, not just the facility and teams, but bigger facilities so people can come and watch. Mm -hmm. uh, places for clubs to get together, practice and socialize. And then beyond that, looking at how do we just plug this into the larger university discussion? So that's kind of the, the area where everyone's at now is how do we really integrate games as a media literacy like we've done everything else? And that means not just computers in a small room, but a facility for watching and viewership, a facility for broadcasting, mm -hmm. a facility to um, engage with your audience through advertising, sponsorship deals, things like that. So um, I want to come back to the academic part in just a, a second, but if you have a varsity team or even a club team for that matter, you presumably have a coach what what does a esports coach do? And and I'm not saying that from a facetious standpoint, but I think that's one of the fascinating like questions that popped into my mind as we were talking about this. What's the role of a coach in, in an environment like this? I mean, I know what a basketball coach does and a football coach. What does an esports coach do? Uh, sometimes it can be hard to tell, yeah. you know, when you're when you're looking at these games because they're so quick and so rapid. But really, what you're looking at is, you know, the coach is really well versed in the overall strategies. A lot of these games have what they call the meta, mm -hmm. which is the larger strategy that a lot of people are adopting. So they understand which characters can 
compete against another character, how to neutralize your opponent's opportunities, when to get your players to pick a strategy and run with it. So they're sort of the architect of the overall planning. Uh, but what's really interesting about this is you're seeing coaches if you'd line them up with your players, you'll never spot the difference. <laughs> you know, the coach is 22. Yeah. And so she looks just like the, the players. Yeah. Um, and so they're really trying to orchestrate that out. And what's really challenging in, uh, from this, from a, you know, kind of a, a coaching leadership perspective is a lot of these kids have played the game, but they haven't, they haven't learned coaching. They haven't mm -hmm. learned leadership. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that, um, when I say it, it's hard to tell, is because they're really having to learn on the fly. Yeah. Um, and so we're seeing this, this separation of sorts between age and credentialing. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, uh, talking with some other universities, they said, you know, our best players often just become the coach. Yeah. yeah. And that's a real challenge because they lack certain, you know, coaching skills that really have to learn right. along the fly. So. Right now, it's really hard to say, but it's only been five years. In 10 years, I'll be able to say, here's what a coach does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like you don't get to see this happen very often. I mean, what what would we have done if we could have watched James Na Naismith, you know, invent the game of basketball and then have it, you know, spread out across the world? I mean, right. that, you know. Um, so from a, from a um, university standpoint, there are different ways that esports teams and, and programs can be created different models. So some reside in student affairs, some perhaps within a collegiate athletics, some in academic programs. Is that sort of the gambit that you've seen? Are there other ways of structuring it that um, goes beyond what I've just said? Overall, sort of the, the big components seem to be, you know, about half the programs tend to reside in student affairs or campus life sort mm -hmm. of uh, program. And then it would be more analogous to being like other types of student organizations that are, are co-curricular in nature. Is that... Right. Correct. Yeah. So you're seeing a lot of that because that just where the clubs are coming from. Mm -hmm. And so they just decide to go with that. Also, and what's interesting about that, again, it comes into this sort of clash of cultures and, and traditions where a lot of gamers are really resistant to plug into the NCAA. Yeah. It's just something we're going to have to recognize and try to work with where they don't see that as a positive organization. And so they really want to kind of protect esports from it. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you look at some issues with like the, the Pac-12 and things out west, there there have been challenges in integrating athletics into it. But other programs have had great success with athletics. I know Kent University, for example, has their program half residing athletics because they mm -hmm. said, hey, we know marketing and merchandise like nobody else on campus will help you out. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing a, a little bit of that. A lot of it will come into, um, you know, academics is about 20% of, of programs, which is interesting because I think there's a lot of growth opportunities bringing an esports program into an ath uh, academic program. Right. Whereas um, doing it through purely athletics or purely student affairs, I think just sort of um, puts it off to, it's going to stay at maybe the club level or we're going to keep it kind of disconnected from academic programming. Sure. So you've already alluded to some of the questions, but uh, that an academic might ask if they were involved in esports. But but so l let's presuppose that the university decides that their esports program will be, I don't know if I want to say primarily, but but you know, primarily residing in the academic disciplines of the university and perhaps with involvement from either athletics and or student affairs, but primarily it starts in the academic side of the house, if you will. What are some of the academic questions that you've seen that sort of naturally emerge from the collaboration that, that occurs if you, 
you know, potentially create one of these programs? Because one of the things that we've learned, as we've talked about it, it's highly interdisciplinary. But, but there's all kinds of questions that you start asking if you're a teacher and a researcher and a scholar about esports that, you know, it's pretty interesting from an academic standpoint. What are some of the ones that you've seen and heard about? You know, I always come at this discussion a little bit differently with coming out of a games and learning background. When people kind of approach me with digital media, video games, mm-hmm. esports, you know, the first thing I say is, what do you need it to be? Because they're extraordinarily flexible. And I think when you start to really kind of open up the possibilities of what it can be, you start to see it's highly interdisciplinary, where there's sort of rich aspects of of you know, data analysis, collaboration, there's design, there's development, there's artwork, there's scripting, voice acting, mm-hmm. motion capture, uh, graphic design. And so you start to really see, you know, we can, we can shape this in a new way. Um, but to get to that point, often the first question is, what is it? Right? So we get through that. Here's what it is. Here's what the culture is. All right, so how does this fit into what we do? And that's when you can really start to kind of draw those analogies and say, like, you know, esports is highly driven by stats. Mm-hmm. Um, if you interview the students on campus and they're like, what do you want to see in an esports program? Stats is often one of the top things. They really want to be able to do better analysis of their teams and other teams. Um, they really want to understand how network traffic works so they can understand lag and latency and ping and things like that and get versed in these things. They want to know how to uh, better take care of themselves. So a lot of times when, you know, a academic program, a university will say, what is it and what can we do with it? Um, I'll pull out that student data. I'll say, here's mm-hmm. what your students want to do with it. And, um, you know, I'm kind of walking around the, the question a bit, I suppose, but it's really important to kind of understand that the students often have all this information. They have their wants and needs. Mm-hmm. And the more the university kind of listens and lets them guide that discussion and really open themselves up to what the possibility is. Um, I mean, Universities, we're, we're researchers, we're academics. We want to understand what it is, understand it completely before we act on it. That can be really yeah. hard to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, that, that's a great way of explaining it because you're right. I mean, um, as, as scholars and teachers, we oftentimes will come at a class the same way that we do a research project, which is oftentimes driven by previous research, right? I mean, the literature right. review. And this is an area where that doesn't exist yet in, in the same way. <laughs> so, you know, then, then you have to go to more of a grounded approach. I, I like your analogy that those questions and focal points for a program like this really needs to come from the people that gave rise to you recognizing the need for that program in the first place. I think that's really smart. Um, one example that, um, that that I was thinking of when, when I was prepping for our, our discussion, when I, I uh, I'm going to say now 10 years ago, it could be a little bit longer than that, one of um, the people that I worked with here at OU in our doctoral program, Jeff Kuznikov, who's now at Miami University, um, he was a a video gamer and he studied, um, he started doing a study even before he got to OU and entered our doctoral program looking at language of players when they were playing Call of Duty, I Uh think was the game that he used. Now, you know, we won't repeat that because this is a family-friendly show. But, you know, some of that language is pretty salty, right? But he was studying that, and th- the study became a um, study of, of gendered interactions um, where whether you were talking to a male male or female was, was unimportant. It was the fact that the discourse that players were talking to each other with during those games was very masculine, you know, as you can imagine. The reason I bring this up 
I think it illustrates the point that, that you are making is that these games, because of the nature of how they're built, are very data-driven. And so there is a gold mine of data that exists within these gaming environments that gives you clues on how people naturally do things, whether it's a very statistically driven thing about reaction time or something like that, or in the case of what um, Jeff Kuznikov was doing, who, by the way, has been a guest on this program. Um, what he was doing was looking at actual you know, communication interactions within the context of the game. Those are, I think, really interesting examples of you know, how these games provide a really interesting environment through which you can learn about you know very detailed and specific things and the data is sitting there and you know you still have to go through IRB to get approval to use it and all that kind of stuff but the point is is there's a lot of data that's there and you know that's ripe for asking really interesting questions I think and that's why universities really need to get involved because you know telemetry is the big thing in AAA video games when they make mm -hmm. these games they have so much statistical data that they crank out but universities can step in and be like you know, there's some really rich qualitative data in here mm -hmm. if, we, if we parse it out. There's some really rich, you know, this and that. And one of my favorite examples of that is there's a game StarCraft. And, you know, everyone's like, okay, so they're fighting over a map. And one of the things I love to bring up, I said, you know, if you're not five to 600 actions per minute on your mouse and keyboard, you're not anywhere near competitive. Hmm. And suddenly psychologists and physiologists are really, you know, <laughs> that's interesting. Uh -huh. um, just now, uh, I guess it was yesterday, Elon Musk's AI program just became better than 99.8% of StarCraft II players. It's now a grandmaster. And suddenly there's a lot of rich, how do you train a computer to be better than these games? Because these games are enormously complex mm -hmm. and there's so many actions happening. Um, a friend of mine looked at uh, not Call of Duty, but Halo and found that the linguistic discourse in Halo matches and fighter pilots was very similar. Oh, really? That's right. interesting. And so, you know, linguists can get involved in understanding data mm -hmm. patterns in, in games. There's all sorts of these opportunities where I don't think that, you, you know, you really see, well, that's okay. That's digital entertainment. That's that's over in communication. Not necessarily. It can be everywhere. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of great opportunities for, uh, you know, women and gender studies mm -hmm. to look at some of the issues in games. There are really pressing issues that need to be investigated. You know, math, computer science, English, looking at, you know, games as a text, you know, and how they can be yeah. kind of parsed out. So I think, you know, just kind of bringing that, um, that thought process into a university is what an esports program can really do well. Mm -hmm. Now you have a centralized focus. There's a place we can go and engage in this community and start to understand how can we unpack it as researchers. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting about that, and and I don't play enough video games or watch enough to speak all that intelligently on this, but if you think about what's different about uh, a traditional athletic sport versus an esport, is that you know traditional athletic sports once the game begins. It really is up to the players to decide how that unfolds. Whereas with an esport um, title, there is a master narrative that is guiding, you know, the storyline of the game, so to speak. Now it might be broad and meta, like you were describing, but then there's also still um, avenues for the players to sort of create their own sub narratives within that mass. And and that's really fascinating, right? I mean, it's you know because from a critical perspective, you can interrogate what that master narrative is. I mean, you know, what what about some of these games? What's the big storyline that's driving them? But then how do players either adopt or deviate as they can from that storyline to create their own unique strategies? I think that's fascinating. And, and, you know, once you describe it in terms like that, 
in addition to the other things that you've said, it opens up so many possibilities around different disciplines within, you know, higher education, K-12, et cetera, for them to really explore this. So do you, you know, looking in your in the crystal ball that only you have, so, down, you know, down the road 10 years, I think it's likely that there will be majors in esports at most universities. you agree? I agree. You know, I think there's going to be, you know, opportunities for not just competitive play, you know, but coaching, journalism, broadcasting, mm-hmm. develop, development and design, you know, it, it's going to have to be addressed because, again, it's a $100 billion a year industry. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that um, – so, you know, as you think about um, professional sports that are not eSports, um, you know, you, so you have the Dallas Cowboys and, you know, teams like that where there's a lot of money involved in it. Um, but then when you look at it in the education realm – you don't really see as much interaction between those dollars maybe in the academic units. Do you see there being potential for differences in the way that esports sort of rolls out in education where there might be more industry academic partnerships? I think so. And I think right now there's there's a bit of a sorting through that understanding of what this mm-hmm. is going to be, where you have some universities that are really home-growing in their talent. Other universities are straight up cold-calling pros and be like, Hey, you're 22. It's time to get out of the game. <laughs> you know, you're you're peaked. Uh, come play for us, and we'll mm-hmm. give you a scholarship. And mm-hmm. they're just getting pro teams. And I think as the more you start to see that bleed between pros and amateurs, and everyone kind of competing at an equal level, you're going to see more of that involvement. Um, you know, one of the big issues that we really have to have talking about industry and university partnerships is if I give a four-year scholarship to a student to play a game, you know, several students, six students, let's say, and then the game company says, well, we're going to shut that game down, turn off the servers in two years' time, what am I going to do? So mm-hmm. as, you know, the partnerships at high school and university begin to grow, we're going to have to have that discussion. And so that's kind of one of the areas right now in a lot of the esports is who is going to be that governing body that can mm-hmm. start to have mm-hmm. that discussion. We don't have an NCAA for esports yet. So who's going to have that industry yeah. partnership? And then also, you know, thinking about this too, it's again, some of that hidden data at your university. How many of your students have gone on to work in these programs? Who's your alumni that work out there? Who's someone you already know in the field that could start a partnership with your university and get this going? A lot of times it's already out there. Um, your students may be aware of it. Oh, yeah, so-and-so went off to, to Blizzard Activision to, to play this you know, or do this. Um, how do we leverage those? Mm-hmm. And again, it's universities are in an interesting position now where we don't know what we don't know about this field. Yeah. And so how to get it going. And so, again, I say start with your students. Ask them. And that can often be your first step to those industry partnerships. Yeah, that's really uh, that's really interesting. And, and I think you know, as as an administrator, uh, it's exciting to think about how we're in enough early. I mean, you know, I, it's interesting because there's already a professional avenue to this that that preceded the academic, and that that rarely happens. You know, usually it starts out in the academics, the colleges and universities, then becomes professional. It's backwards this time, but but I think that actually opens up a really interesting opportunity that maybe didn't present itself with other sports like basketball, football, etc., because there is this vibrant and and you know robust professional community that you would hope academics would figure out how we could bring value to that discussion. And and that's where those partnerships, I think, could become, you know, super dynamic in some ways. So, you know, the other thing that um, 
is really you've, you mentioned the infrastructure part of this. And just for listeners that if, if you know, you're not a gamer, um, which which I'm not, but but I've been around enough. I've got some of my friends are gamers. So what, what's fascinating to me is that if you if I think about the casual um, observations that I've had about video games that I see them sporadically is that they started out with the ones that I played, which were Asteroids and Pac-Man. But you know, then they became obviously much more strategy-driven, more narrative-driven. Um, and then now, you know, the games that I see my daughter and her friends playing, if I don't pay attention, I don't know that it's not television, right? I mean, the graphics are so good and the action is so realistic that it looks like you're watching a television you know, show um, or, or contest. Um, but that comes at a price. That comes at a price of needing to have very high-speed broadband because the thing is, is, if I'm playing the professional wrestling game in my living room, I might be playing you in Tokyo, right? Why is that infrastructure? I mean, games aren't gonna get less complex. So the infrastructure side of this that maybe isn't looked at by very many people is gonna become increasingly important and part of this environment. I mean, do you agree with that? Absolutely, and I think that's why universities need these facilities. You know, going back to the earlier question about what kind of questions do we get initially, mm -hmm. a lot of universities are like, well, if these kids have game consoles in their dorms, they have laptops, why would they come play at a facility? And the question is, is well, do they wanna play on you know, a 1080p or 720p monitor with a computer that lags because that's all they can afford. When they can go into the facility and play on a very high-end computer, mm -hmm. they want to see those rich, silky smooth graphics, uh, but they can't afford that at home. So that's why they can come in, play in these facilities. You know, like UC Irvine has, you know, hey, $4 an hour, you can come in, play on state-of-the-art machines, play the games you love, and play them with friends in a very social setting. Mm -hmm. uh, Akron has a program where Every student gets, I believe, 90 hours a semester that they can come in and play. And, you know, students students will come. So there's a reason to invest in that um, because they're going to need to um, have high-end high -end machines to play these things. And then also from a, um, you know, varsity team or club team sort of thing, if you're going to play other universities, that equipment is also part and parcel of, of competition. If your students are under-equipped, they can't take the field without their football pads. You wouldn't send them yeah. out with, with yeah. low-end computers. So that makes a difference. And you, as you see, the games are getting bigger. They're getting more complex. The data is getting more uh, complex. Graphics are getting richer. And that takes horsepower. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what universities can provide. Yeah. So, again, back to the crystal ball, what do you think – um, you know, as we think about this broadly, so I'm not talking about our university or any specific university, but we as an academic community that are now embracing esports and and doing so, you know, more rapidly now, um, even though we might have been behind the curve for a little bit. If we look down the road five and ten years, what do you think would define, or wh what do you think would allow us to be able to answer the question of did it work? and be able to say robustly, yeah, we made the right decisions and this is a program that's now critically important to our mission? That's a great question. I think, um, are, are your students engaged? You know, are they um, coming into this facility? Do you have a full s facility? Do you have students mm -hmm. really kind of generating a lot of creative output? Because I think part of this too is really just a push towards more project-based learning, team-based learning, hands-on learning, where it's like, okay, we're going to be in this classroom learning about what makes good level design for an eSport. Mm -hmm. All right, go
go down there, build it, have the team play it. So I think the you know universities as a whole anyway are starting to really see this blend between work and classes. And I think you know communications in the McClure School is a great example. Mm-hmm. Kids in the grid lab that we have here, they learn about development, VR development, game development, and then they go off and work on projects for actual stakeholders. Yeah. And I think those sort of opportunities are just going to be more amplified in these spaces. If you have a network uh, program, send the kids down there to analyze the data during an event, and that's a semester for the data they can unpack. Um, so I think having the, just sort of that opportunity to do besides just learn is where the future of education is going as, as a whole. Mm-hmm. So let's use this as an opportunity to do that. Games are going to become more and more an established media literacy. A great example that I love is last year, as the NBA started for the season, the streamer in Fortnite Pro Ninja was on ESPN Magazine. Hmm. You know, they could have covered basketball. They yeah. covered Ninja. Yeah. You can talk about Ninja, Shroud, some of these high-level streamers and players in open conversation. People, I've heard of that kid. Yeah. That's a start. Um, so you're going to start to see that more and more. Everyone's mm-hmm. going to have this standardized sort of understanding of what games are, and that's going to be with your students. And being able to just talk about what your students love. You know, I, I say this over and over that we have student, alumni, donor. And that conversation track has always been centered on football, mm-hmm. athletics. But when you have 23% of your students watching football and your average college football age fan is 52, and you have 37% of your students watch esports and the average age is around 20, so what's it going to look like 10 years from now? How are you yeah. engaging your alumni if you don't have a team like this? That's a great point. Um, so, Jeff, I really appreciate your time, and I hope that – you know, as you continue to be involved in esports and you start to see evidence of, you know, what you just said, you know, how, how is it going to be successful down the road? I'd love to have you back on to talk about that. I'd love to. Thanks for having me. So our guest today was Jeff, was Jeff Kuhn, who is an instructional designer in the Office of Instructional Innovation, also affiliated with the Gaming Research and Immersive Design Lab at Ohio University. Um, Jeff, it's been great having you on. So thanks. Happy to be here. Thank you for listening to Teaching Matters. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. You can always listen at woub.org slash listen. We're also available on all of the podcasting apps that you can imagine. If you have ideas or questions or would like to contact the staff of the podcast, simply go on to Facebook, search for Teaching Matters Podcast, and reach out to us. We would love to have your ideas for future topics on shows, guests, and uh, just your feedback on what it is that you're learning from our programs. Our audio engineer and associate producer is Adam Rich. I'm Scott Titsworth. Thank you for listening.